This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Jeez, um, that was a terrible start right there. It's the, gosh, got the freaking first word choked in the back of my uh, back of my throat. Cody. Yes. Very importantly. Peach Street Distillery, have they reached out yet? No, but in, okay, that but, but is that but, are we getting closer? Um, we have a listener who is ordering some Peach Street because, so we, we, if we are about to officially chalk up our first guaranteed sale because of it. Would, does that like elevate us into the influencer status? I don't know. I, I mean, I've got lick, I've got proof here that Chris in Virginia texted me and said, "Hey, how can I buy this stuff that you won't shut up about?" That's not exactly what he said, but <laughs> but uh, Chris in Virginia is actively working. I'm doing a little bit of checking for him, trying to figure out the laws. Like, you think it's illegal if he sends me some money and I ship him whiskey across state lines? Is that illegal? It depends on the laws of Virginia. I don't know if it's illegal, but it sounds a little sketchy. 
I'm I'm okay with a little sketchy, Doug. I don't have, <laughs> I have I have no problem with a little sketchy. Um, How about I'm, we do this? How about we do this, Cody? Let's use this as an opportunity. Google Peachtree Distillery in Palisades, Colorado. Give them a call and say, "Listen, this is who I am. I'm part of this organization called Blood Origins. We talk about you every week, right here, and we have." Exactly. And every week you show me an empty bottle. That's actually so the same bottle that I've left up here. Like I, I have I have some in a glass, but that bottle's been up in sitting on my on my desk for a month and a half. Just use this as the opportunity to engage and say this is who right. we are and we talk about you all the time and now I have a customer for you because of what I say about you. Right, right. I'm driving I'm driving sales. They're gonna be expanding with all the sales from me and Chris in Virginia. Wow, I'm gonna. I really. This, this, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put out one more plea for a listener to contact Peach Street Distilleries, Palisade, Colorado, and say, "Look, this dumbass on the Blood Origins podcast won't shut up about you guys. You should at least go listen to the podcast and send him a bottle, if nothing else, right?" And uh, no, I'll I'll reach out to them. Uh, the problem is I don't know any. Like, I don't know anything. They, they for all I know they don't like hunting. You know I have no idea. But it's just great. It's just great. Uh, There's only one way to find out, Cody, and that is to call them. I know. I just had so, this, I worked this uh, fantasy in my head where someone else was going to contact them, and now I'm trying to let it play out. Doug Duran, can you help him out here? Well, I, I was going to say that if that doesn't work out for you. Um, I actually uh, work, uh, have friends with and um, do a little work with a couple of distilling companies here in Wisconsin. So if you want to put a little pressure on those folks out there, um, I can hook you up with my friends. Yeah, and, there you go. Happen to be drinking their stuff right here. And, and, and they gave it to me, you know. So. Well, let's give them a little bit of a promotion. Yeah, throw what their name out there, Doug. Oh, well, <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. No, we don't have a whiskey sponsor. Throw it out there. <laughs> well, I'm drinking uh, – Robbers Barrel Strength Straight Rye Whiskey from the Lacrosse Distilling Company in Lacrosse, Wisconsin. Robbers Barrel. Shout out to my name. friend Chad Staley and and uh, his partner Nick Weber up there. It's good people. I'm actually uh, work trying to get to where I can work on a conservation project with them that uh, centers around um, restoring native landscapes. Um, in proportion to the amount of land that they have under production to produce their, um, to produce their grains and their stuff is all, um, organic. And, um, so they're doing good things to begin with, but now they want to do this and we're just working through that process. So that's kind of a cool connection. Yeah. Well, we'll take any for, for Cody's alcohol bill, we'll take any <laughs> alcohol distillery connection that we can get. What are you drinking, Robbie? Right, some some of that smoke uh, beer you drink. Yep, yep, yep. One of the uh, Louisiana Abita Abita Brewing Company on Louisiana. This is a purple haze. Oh, it's a, it's, it's a raspberry lager. Very good. It is huh. good. It, it is good. It it uh, you have to give up about half of your man card to drink it, but it is it is very good. <laughs> Speaking of texts. How about that transition? Um, the last uh, the last roundup that I was on, was I on the last one? You were. I, oh, yeah, I was on the last one. And I talked about uh, 
you skipped out on the the two before that one. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, I've heard uh, Ranella talk about this. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how he words it, but he has like this pipe dream of Yellowstone being turned into a wilderness area with no vehicle traffic. Right. I'm probably just destroying what is actually, and I, I think it's you know like a fifty percent joke thing, fifty percent what whatever. He he's talked about it before. Um, the amount of people in Yellowstone, the times that I've been there drives me absolutely crazy. I'm here to admit that that's kind of a selfish thing. Um, you know, I, I want Yellowstone all to myself. That's how ridiculous this point that I'm making is. Um, but Dave Gittleson texts us, um, which is actually pretty cool. Dave is the, uh, rancher in Colorado who Robbie has done one, or I think we have another podcast coming. Done one and we have another one coming. Is that right? He's the yeah, right. Yeah, we did one. One ninety one was the first podcast, and next uh, this Thursday there'll be his his next podcast. His uh, he is the rancher in Colorado right now, who, if not exclusively, very close to exclusively, is the only rancher in Colorado dealing with wolf depredation. Not um, the only one any longer, but he was the first rancher to have a cow taken and confirmed taken by wolves. Yeah, great guy, great episode. Um, I'm a big fan of Dave, even though I never met him. I like his approach and his uh, his attitude about things. Um, but he pretty much texted us to chastise me that uh, Cody's saying he believes in shutting down the road access to Yellowstone. One thing to think about is how many people have gained their passion for wildlife conservation because they have had easy access to national parks such as Yellowstone. Um, and then he sent another text saying long-term conservation needs a way to get youth involved in Yellowstone is a great tool. It's an incredibly valid point. I don't know that I actually um, completely believe in my Yellowstone in, in Ranella's given proper credit. Um, turning Yellowstone into a wilderness area. But uh, I completely agree with you, Dave. Um, I just, at times, I think I think the same thing of zoos sometimes, even though I just completely abhor zoos. I, 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 don't, I don't like the concept of zoos in 2020 at all, um, except for the fact that I think a whole bunch of people like wildlife because of zoos. And that's, there's probably some good... Uh, there's some some benefits coming out of that concept. Um, so I, I don't have a firm stance on it, but great text from Dave. I appreciate it. Thoughts, guys? Nothing? Zero? Doug, do you like zoos? Uh, I think that um, – I, I, in fact, I know that zoos are, <clears throat> in some cases, the last place that some animals – uh, and their genetic diversity uh, exists. So, sure. And I have fond memories, actually, of taking my daughter and, and friends of hers to uh, the uh, the zoo in Madison. Uh, it was just a great place to be able to go and walk around. And, and I think they did a pretty good job there of providing an environment for the animals that, um, uh, you know, was somewhat natural and uh, and interesting. Um, so I guess I like zoos. All right. Well, that's, well, that's the only, it's the only place that let's be honest, a lot of play, people are only going to see a certain animal species in their lives. 
you know, without the opportunity to travel abroad, a zoo is as good as it's going to get. So, but is there well, justification I, for it? Hell yes, it is, so that they can understand the conservation of that species. Seeing how else are you going it, to? It's seeing is believing, right? That's the old phrase. Seeing is believing. Looking at the animal, seeing the animal, belonging to the animal. Okay, now I'm. I have this cause behind this animal. That doesn't just happen from a book. It doesn't just happen from TV. It may, but actually seeing the animal. I'd like to retract my previous statement and say, yes, I like zoos. Thank you, Doug. Right. Thank right. you. I'm not I'm sure. Mostly that. due to that impassioned plea from Robbie. Yeah. I'm not sure that in 2020 we need that anymore, but I'm also not. Prepared. Get out of here. Come I'm not prepared on. to make it a hill that I die on. I'm not, Listen, I, it's even more important in 2020. That's what you should be saying. If, in today's day and age, the, the way that people are more disconnected from anything else, especially Mother Nature, zoos are even more important today. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy it, but but I'm also not sure that I don't buy it, and so I don't want to argue about it. I'll pick some things to argue about before the episode's over, I promise. Um, <laughs> The, the final text of the day is from Tim, who, you know, Tim has officially earned the uh, Rabbit Texter Award. The guy's phenomenal at communicating. He's awesome. Tim and I text back and forth a whole lot about things that Blood Origins is involved in. Um, but uh, Daryl and I on the last episode, Doug, have you ever seen the Merlin app from uh, shit? Audubon. No, it's a universal. It's Audubon. It's a university, and I just blanked. Hold on, I've got the app. The Merlin app is what is the, what does it do? It's bird it's a citizen bird identification. Oh, I love those apps, man. Yeah, it, it's from There's Cornell. A whole lot of them. Like I natural. Yeah, uh, Cornell does a great job. Uh, the University of Minnesota has a bird song thing. Um, I naturalist from National Geographic. Um, all of those apps that are are used for identifying animals and and uh and plants and and birds and bird songs i think they're fantastic yeah not only i'm not like i have one bird app i've ever used i actually had another one before that i couldn't figure out what i was supposed to do but the merlin app from cornell labs coming out right now and telling you it's incredible but i'm not comparing it to anything because i don't have that kind of knowledge but you could it also plays the it plays the songs and we literally sat in North Carolina while we were collaring whitetails and called birds in by specifically hitting this button. And next thing you know, the bird showed up. It was cool as hell. Anyway, Tim sent us an email. It said, good episode as always, fellas, always good to hear big D, which, you know, Tim getting pretty familiar with Daryl there. I've been using the Merlin app as well and have ID'd a yellow rumped warbler, cool little bird. So that it's it's the goofiest. It's not a thing. It's not like, like, it's not me like sitting around in the woods with a bird app is, is uh, until three weeks ago in North Carolina, I did not think that was a thing that I would enjoy. Um, and now I sit on my back deck and ID my hummingbirds on a very regular basis. I think that's super cool. I uh, uh, know the flora and fauna of my area pretty well. But as there's only so much room on my, uh, well, I'd say tape in my head, but I guess it's actually a, some sort of a hard drive. Um, I will look at things and go, I know what that is. What's that called again? You know, it takes a second. 
So I'll actually use like iNaturalist on the, the plants, um, the ones that, you know, that puzzle me a little bit and then go, ah, oh, yeah, that's what that is. And in fact, here's a little Doug Duran secret. I uh, occasionally do uh, tours with groups on my farm. And usually before I do, I take a walk on the same route that I'm going to take all those folks. And I will use iNaturalist to make damn sure I know what I'm talking about when I go by those particular plants. And uh, people are like, wow, you know all that stuff. And, you know, at some point, I'm like, yeah, well, I grew up with it. And, you know, it's it's the kind of thing. I mean, you learn so much just through experience. And, and, and But I usually will fess up towards the end and go, oh, by the way, iNaturalist is a heck of an app that you all ought to download. Very cool. That's it on the text, Robbie. Any other admin stuff we want to hit before we get to the articles? Uh, when this roundup drops, we would have completed our big peer-to-peer fundraising campaign for the year, the Arkansas Black Bear Project. Duran, did you hear about our Arkansas Black Bear Project? I have not. Enlighten me, please. So um, the, the Blood Origins organization is very much interested in direct conservation projects. We want to find a project. We want to fundraise for the project and we want it to be implemented and what better project for hunters and hunting to get behind than the scientific data collection process of understanding how a a population like black bears can become more sustainable as a new population is hunted and so they needed the arkansas game and fish commission wanted 25 black bears collared with these new high-tech gps collars to understand fecundity and movements and all the things that you need from a reproductive perspective to to get a really good handle on the sustainability of a population. Can we get and a we said, sure. of fecundity for the 99.9% of the population that needs one? Fecundity, let me say this. For, how do I how can I put this in Cody terms? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> fecundity is how good a job you do at procreating. <laughs> And that's 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 like the PG version. I wanted to go a little lower, but I'll just stay right there. <laughs> I knew it. I had just the slightest amount of concern that possibly some of our listeners might not. Uh, fess up, Cody. You thought I didn't know what it meant. No, I haven't gotten to that point with you yet. I'm still searching for that <laughs> thing that I don't think Doug Duran knows. So, uh, no, I- yeah, we decided to take on the project because – Again, what better way to show what hunters are about and what hunting the hunting community is about than to collect science around a wildlife population that we love and we love to hunt. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to, at this stage of the game, we know we've raised $55,000. Yes, sir. That's fantastic. So it's a phenomenal project. The Arkansas Game and Fish is going to open up two new zones for black bear hunting, very limited quota this year, and they will have the science to back up any decisions that they make when it comes to what they're going to hunt and how they're going to hunt it. The the coolest thing, and the reason that folks should, by the time this airs, like Robbie said, that that, uh, will be over. We'd like to do things like, so it's a team fundraising thing. And the top two teams are going to get to take four of their members each and go with Arkansas game and fish and collar and den these bears. That's it's, I just want to throw that out there folks that you should pay attention to the, to the little things we're doing here at blood origins. Cause we work very hard to get people um, involved on a level on a level, not a level. Cause that's not even a word on a level that 
but uh, not everyone works that hard to get you into the game. So yeah, pretty cool stuff. That that's fantastic. It's um, you know I've been involved with some stuff at uh, at Meat Eater that's similar, um, not that it has to do with so much with uh, actual wildlife conservation as it does as it does with access. Mm. They had the auction house of oddities, and uh, right. I was just messaging with Steve today about. Um, I have the trip uh, or the tour of my farm coming up with uh, a fellow from Texas who's coming up um, who who um, I offered this um, tour as uh, part of that fundraising effort. And I was stunned at how much people were willing to pay to ride around on the farm or walk around on the farm with me for an afternoon. And um, it's 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 really cool to see people who have the means to be able to um support efforts like the access and initi access initiative at meat eater um without expecting a whole lot in return i mean after all an afternoon with me i mean how much fun is that going to be um but uh really that, that i mean that, and and i i think that's just fantastic that that not just uh that that people are spending time and then guys like you and, and companies like you and groups like you are spending are putting effort into that sort of thing um yeah we're pretty happy we're pretty yeah, happy with the results be. and we're learning every time to get better and better and better and next year uh you know if somebody has an idea for a project out there that we need to do next year send it to us because we're already starting to think about what we're going to do next year cody yes anything else no, just send that to us at info at bloodorigins.com or uh, text us. Really text us anything you want. I get the texts. They come through on my phone, and it kind of makes my day when I get one. And sometimes they're uh, completely off the wall, and you know they're, they're about how do I get my hands on whiskey instead of serious or more uh, fruitful questions. But send us a text, 620-860-4804. Yeah, I'll do that because we get a lot of connect with Blood Origins emails at the info at bloodorigins.com, but 95% of them are Russian spam emails. Yeah, the Russian, the Russian spam bots and uh, someone with a really crazy looking link that says they're sending us naked pictures that I haven't, that I haven't oh, yeah. clicked on. I yet. know that person. Right. And What's Eric it? Jones. Let's not forget about Eric Jones, who sees our website every second day. <laughs> Eric Jones, if you're a real person and you're trying to optimize our website, you are the most diehard email spammer I have ever met in my life. Eric Jones, thank you very much for continually sending us bullshit. We <laughs> hey, Cody, what's that number again? 620-860-4804. All right. Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, you'll start hearing from me now. I, said, and I, won't be, I won't be offering you naked pictures or anything okay. like that. I okay. That's uh, that's it's fine either way. I mean, I'm I'm a very, uh, <laughs> I'm a very, I'm a very liberated person. Uh, nice. That's nice to know. So we have, um, I would say today, we probably have the the lineup of lineups when it comes to controversial discussion topics. So. 
Doug, I'm going to give you the choice of where we start, but I'm going to lay out to the audience right now the three topics that are on our plate. Elephants, feral cats, and hunters and gun control. Three massive, massive topics. Choose your poison, Doug Duren. I think uh, I'll take feral cats for 100. Um, Perfect. Because um, we need to, it's going to take some serious shifting on those other two uh, topics. And I think mm-hmm. feral cat, cats are a great place to start. Feral cats, probably one of the most um, invasive species, uh, arguably more invasive than pigs around the world, very pervasive around the world. Uh, Australia, you could find a feral cat pretty much in any ecosystem away from any human habitation, have accounted for over 2.8 billion birds a year in terms of their removal capacity, not to mention amount of small mammals and reptiles that are being taken out by feral cats every single year. And let's, um, I'm not a cat person. Uh, I am not, um, I'm a dog guy. And these are these kinds of people in this world. But it's an interesting, interesting um, set of circumstances because typically when you hear of the anti-hunting rabbit crowd, they tend to love cats. And uh, that may be an overgeneralization, but mm. sometimes it's very, it's very true. But yet they'll let their cats out. And I'm okay with cats being out, but let's be honest. Cats being out are predators, and predators will, will chow on anything. They'll take out birds. They'll take out mammals. They'll take out reptiles. They'll take out everything. And when they get feral, they take out more, and they produce a lot because cats, just like lions, just like leopards, if given adequate resources or plentiful resources, will procreate and have high fecundity. See how I did that, Cody? I do. Pretty good. I Very do. impressive. You don't need it explained again. And so that's my position. I'm a big fan of removal of feral cats. I am not a big fan of the capture, neuter, and put back uh, system that is in place in many, many, in many, many places because you're not, you may be limiting the population expansion of feral cats. You're not reducing the harm that they are bringing to uh, biodiversity uh, around the world. So that's my position. Doug's like, oh my gosh. Um, are you going to go next, Cody, or do you want me to? No, you're you're up. I'm, I would like to. I would like to hear what you have to say. So, feral cats in our area are a problem as well. They, you know, I'm in farm country in southwest Wisconsin, and <clears throat> barn cats are a. Uh, you know, are are a regular thing on a farm. You have some cats around that keep down the mice and the uh, rats and that sort of stuff. But um, those those cats very quickly end up um, in the woods. And uh, I'm a really big fan of songbirds. Um, one of my favorite things in the spring is to see the songbirds returning, um, counting them, you know, adding to my list or at least adding numbers to my list. Um, as I'm bebopping around the farm. Um, when I was a young man and we had a dairy farm, there were a lot of cats around because there was also a lot of grain around and there were a lot of mice around and, you know, and that sort of thing. Now, none of, we, we, we have very little of that anymore. Um, and we have very few cats around, but uh, I can tell you a, a quick story when 
when I was younger and milking cows at our uh, at our place, when you would go out in the winter time and turn on the lights in the morning when you're about to start milking, the cows would all stand up and you would routinely find a cat or two that had been rolled over on by a, a cow during the middle of the night and that cat was a lot flatter um, and dead. Um, so they were kind of an expendable item on the farm. Um, there is still a cat or two around our buildings and they are particularly sly and clever um, animals. And I feel like they are good at what they're doing. And if I get a, if I ever feel like I've got too many cats, then we will, we'll take care of that. Um, what I see in uh, residential areas is cats hanging around uh, bird feeders. And I like to feed the birds. We really like to feed the birds. So all of a sudden you'll see a cat hanging around a bird feeder. And even if that cat has a bell around its neck, it becomes an issue, right? Because they're there for one thing. And that is just to, is to kill and kind of, I don't know if kill for fun, but certainly kill for surplus because it's just what they are. Um, we adopted some cats a while ago. We have since given them up. But when we adopted those, when I say we, I mean my wife, um, adopted those cats. Um, the Humane Society folks or the adoption agency said, look, here's the deal. You have to keep those cats inside and you have to pledge to do that, which I thought was, wow, really? You're requiring me to do that? And they, and but I said, good for you. And it was because they had concerns about songbirds and all of those sort of things. I know people, including some relatives, who let their cats come and go. And they almost think it's cute when all of a sudden Fluffy or whatever the heck the cat's name is, has left a little offering by the door. And if that is a songbird, I don't think that's particularly um, a particularly good idea. Um, it's a complex thing um, to think about predators uh, meso predators, especially in areas like mine. You know, I think about um, raccoons, I think about coyotes, I think about feral cats, and then I think about all the birds and the small mammals that I also like. Um, and so there's kind of this balance in there. I'm all for uh, the article that you sent me was this guy in New Jersey wanting to declare a um, open season. <laughs> yeah, so in the, in the, the article is the Newark Advocate. And the title of the article is Feral Cat Season in Licking County? Prosecutor Proposes Permanent Solution to Cat Problem. And uh, there's a, a candidate for county commissioner thinking that there should be an open season on feral cats just like squirrel season. Yeah, and I also read in that um, uh, in the extension of that article that he apologizes for, sec for suggesting feral cats for uh, a feral cat hunting season. And I you know, I disagree. They might, I mean, I have no idea what their particular issue is there, but it seems ridiculous to me that we're catching cats spayed or neutering them and then releasing them back out. Um, elimination is, is makes a lot more sense to me. Mm -hmm. So Robbie, I'm, I'm right there with you. You're a wise man, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm I've Cody. Already. I'm, I'm a wise man, Cody. <laughs> Come on, Cody. Um, you know you on the say subjects it. of feral cats. Yes. Um, well, I I couldn't agree more. I want to give uh, Ryan Callahan credit that on the Cal's Week in Review podcast that he has is where I heard about this. That in uh, and the, the the part that 
I think the part that like riled me up or made my the neck my neck hairs what what stand up was was the fact that that he got attacked so hard mm. um that not only and he also was maybe just dumb enough that he said this publicly right before an election so he is no longer occupying the seat that he formerly held because he lost the election be, and 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 potentially lost some votes due to the outrage over the statement about feral cats. And, and I think, you know, in, in the United States, if you look at currently, if you look at feral cats and what are essentially feral horses, right? Am I using the word feral wrong there? That's, that's their feral horses. Um, And then I think very strangely, and holy crap, we're probably going to get bombarded on this one. I think birds of prey um, are three things that that we're going to have to get we're going to have to get realistic about in some form or another. And taking a six month old cat that has a ten year lifespan and spay or neutering it is not is not solving the problem because he's still going to go out and kill. It, and you know, and, and either keep the cat inside, or somebody ought to be able to exterminate that cat. I think I I don't know what the plan is. I don't know how you do it. I'm not talking about some draw system, right? Colorado, I guarantee you, where I live, we'll create a damn draw, and it'll be like you apply for feral cat tags or something because they'll complicate the living shit out of it. But it's uh, you're talking. You know, Robbie, you said 2.7. I've seen 2.4 and 2.7 billion birds oh, a, year. a year. That's mm-hmm. not a worldwide number, folks. That's that's a freaking U.S. number. Yeah, billion yeah. birds a year. That cats that we as human beings released on the ecosystem. Um, and and uh, no, it's it's just real. It's a real thing that we have to deal with in a real way. And uh, I bet there's 2.7 billion birds a year that would vote for a feral cat season in Licking County, Ohio, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's uh, something that we have to look at as a real problem. And it's just, uh, I can never say the word, like I f- screw the word up every time where you anthropomorphize, you know, like we're almost everyone's okay with us shooting coyotes because they attack our dogs. But when you get to cats or horses and God forbid in a couple of years, folks, I'm telling you, we're going to have to do something about birds of prey because we have overprotected them as a species. Um, it's all going to get crazy and nasty and gnarly, but uh, it's real. There, there uh, are interference in it is creating a detrimental problem. Uh, you've said an awful lot there. And, and the, no, the end of Cody saying an awful lot. Come yeah. On. The, but the end of it is the most important part that we, uh, <laughs> yeah, that we humans have um, created a lot of this. And um, there are very few places in this world where we are, are, handprint, thumbprint, footprint hasn't had an effect on um, the landscape. And um, 
feral cats as an example. It's it, Yeah, it's really interesting when you start talking about birds of prey. Um, it's like, boy, bald eagles, for instance, have become very commonplace, you know. And uh, you mentioned Ranella before. One of the things that he said, um, uh, probably said it on a podcast, but he said it to me privately as well. He says, bald eagles need to con- be concerned about their uh, public relations because uh, some of the things that they, they've done so well and then some of the things that they do. I have a friend who's a uh, um, has chickens and sheep, and she has had she has lost both to bald eagles because there are so many of them in the area where she lives. Um, so, yeah, it's all part of it, right? I mean, we're we're management. That's the word. Management and balance is the other word. So, how do we balance things? Well, that's uh, that's a, a great statement because um, you know we don't live with elephants here in America. But the same principle applies to elephants in Botswana and in Zimbabwe and in Mozambique and all of that kind of stuff. And so that's the second article that we have on the list, uh, which is really a perpetuation of a, um, a situation that Blood Origins got involved with very, very early on, which was one of the big tuskers in Botswana uh, got killed. I think it was March the 15th, I believe, or April the 15th. And uh, we were the first organization, probably the only organization uh, that was a pro-hunting voice associated with the big elephant being taken out or harvested or killed or hunted or whatever you want to call it. And um, it's really almost, it didn't quite become the Cecil outcry. Well, it certainly did not, but it did get a little bit of legs. It got a little bit of traction. We were, we were posted up in 15 newspaper articles around the world. Uh, there was a couple of live debates that, that spurned a, a little bit more news interest in it. And uh, we posted a number of podcasts out there, one with the professional hunter, Leon Kachelhofer. We then followed it up with a podcast with Rich Sowry out of Kruger, who's a pro-wildlife guy. As he says, he's not pro-hunting. He's not pro-ecotourism. He's pro-wildlife. And explained about um, the economics and the revenue and the people involved when it comes to elephant hunting. And then we had a follow-up podcast with Ivan Carter. We also had a podcast with Andrew Dankwood, which was an ecosystem tourism operator who uh, was very much vociferously against our post. And we had a phenomenal conversation with Andrew. Uh, I think one of the best conversations we've ever had with someone that didn't agree with us and had a very different viewpoint. And similarly, this article that I posted here from African Geographic was an opinion piece by Simon Epsley. Uh, Espley, sorry. Simon is the CEO of Africa Geographic and created an opinion piece, which was a follow-up to the piece that he originally posted about the elephant, which was how much to kill a woolly mammoth. And uh, for the audience's uh, no knowledge, uh, I wrote a two-and-a-half-page rebuttal to this opinion piece. Africa Geographic would not publish it. Hmm. And uh, they told me I needed to log into their private website, which I've done. And I've posted it as a comment to this piece. Uh, there's been a couple of back and forth uh, exchanges on uh, my piece. But really, it came down to the fact that I agree, Simon. I agree, Simon S. Blee, that you know, wildlife needs to be valued. And that's one of the things that hunting brings is value to the table. And Ivan Carter actually said it best that if these big elephants are being taken in Botswana, yes, you can argue until you're blue in the face that 
they may not have paid fair value for this elephant this year because it was a business negotiation. Fair enough. But because big elephants have hit the ground this year, the value of those elephants are going to be much greater next year, and people are going to be willing to pay more next year. Very controversial topic, just like feral cats, just like feral horses. But one that you've got to think about the people that are engaging with this resource in Africa specifically. And, you know, how do you best serve the people? And how do you best serve the wildlife? Two, two, two facts that, ha- that I think every time this conversation and Botswana specifically come up have to be laid out. Robbie, how many elephants in Botswana? The last census that was done by Elephants Without Borders in 2018 or 2019 was about 130,000 elephants, stabilized from a 2016 number. And what is the kind of scientifically agreed upon carrying capacity of the ecosystem? That is a very difficult question to answer because carrying capacity in terms of its definition has very much changed over the years from an ecology perspective. The, the, the running sentiment in the past was that Botswana's carrying capacity was around 50,000 elephants. You've got to understand that elephants, though, at a certain density, become habitat, become habitat modifiers, not habitat destroyers, which is critical to maintaining the savanna ecosystem that Africa has. Grassland mixed with woodland. If there were no elephants, there would be no grassland. It would, it would become a very dense thicket. But there's going to be a certain level in which the habitat cannot be sustained any longer in terms of the services that it provides because of the density of a certain species of animal. Deer, this, in this regard, elephants. Now, you bring in transfrontier parks, and you bring in migration, this... this this uh, this paper, not this paper, this opinion piece talked about migration, Doug, right? And actually, when you look at this area, NG13, you look at the science of this area, three, three independent pieces of science in 2009, 2015, and 2022 actually highlight this area is not a migratory corridor for the Khaza Transfrontier Conservation Area. It's actually a secluded piece that may actually encourage seclusion when it comes to elephants. It's just, there's just so many tentacles to this, Cody, but you're right. There's the number is critical. And here's what I would add to your number, the 130,000. Hunting is not a population control mechanism in this, in this regard. No, it's not. Hunting that's, is that's, that, that, economic. That's not at all my argument. My, not, not at all and my protein. argument. I've, I've never argued that. Um, we've talked about even when it comes to the coyote in the United States that you have to deal in very, very, very small micro systems for it to to for the population effect to even have a thing but the 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 point of the matter is there is an excess of elephants in botswana correct and i don't think that you would find anyone who would disagree with that statement just that statement so and 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 as every and i think everyone scientifically also agrees upon that shooting the old male elephants out of it is not detrimental to the population of Botswana that is already 
overpopulated with elephants. And I don't, I'm not laying that out as a justification for killing the animal. I'm saying if you're against it, you can't use those arguments. Those are arguments that can't be thrown on the table because this, because you're arguing against science. And I just think that it's very important that those are stated every time that this is not, there's three dodo birds left in New Zealand and someone went down there and hunted them. That is not the situation we're dealing with in Botswana. Now, there's a whole nother realm of debate to be had, but that's not a valid argument. Doug, you came at this completely with brand new eyes when you read it. Oh, man, I listened to your the, to the podcast, <clears throat> your initial podcast with the uh, professional hunter. And I thought, wow, everything he's saying seems really reasonable. That mm-hmm. here's the process that he went through. Here's the costs involved. Here's what the villages got out of it. Here's what the people got out of it. Here's what we got out of it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, seems like they're really thinking through this. And then I started reading this article that you sent to me and I thought, well, hell who's, you know, what's really happening here. Right. Um, and um, I, I, much of what, what uh, Cody just said, um, you know, I would echo, we're not talking about um, coyotes that if you shoot more of them, there'll be, uh, they'll have more pups. If you shoot fewer, they'll have less pups. You know, that's kind of both sides of the discussion about uh, about a sustainable resource. Um, I, I think it, man, I just, it's just so hard for me to relate to this because it's so foreign to me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the thought process makes a lot of sense that at some point, okay, what can we do with this resource to better the ecosystem, to better the people? I I mean, I can even talk about Botswana from a, uh, I, I don't have any kind of perspective on Botswana from a, from an economic standpoint and, you know, and what, what the folks there need and, and how can, they can be helped. But I am a believer in the North American model of conservation. And that is that the game belongs to the people. And I also believe that there comes a time when things like access and I guess in this case, the animals themselves have a certain value and we are, after all, extractors of value. Um, I'm not interested in paying $80,000. I can't afford to put, pay $80,000 to shoot an elephant. But I can understand that there are people out there who are interested in that and who are willing to do it. So then I'm kind of immediately on to the next step about fairness mm-hmm. and the effect on that country and the local communities and the region and all of that. And man, it seems like you, in this discussion, you folks have been considering all of that. And I, I'm just so impressed with this discussion. Um, I'll say this, Doug, it's, it's obviously a very, very emotional topic. 
It's like wolves, right? You have people on both sides of the equation here. It's like feral cats. Yeah, but you've got to sit. You've got to seat yourself in the middle and say, well, "How can we be better? How can we be better for wildlife? How can we be better for people?" And there's no doubt in my brain, and I wrote this in my comment response, that adequate compensation must be looked at. You know, you want more money to go to the communities. You want them to value the elephants more. You want that. But you've also got to be realistic in that things cost money, right? Operations and logistics and opening up things and putting camps up and fuel. And so there's got to be some sort of return on that investment for the hunter and the outfitter. But the question is, how much of a return is appropriate? And agree that, yes, we need to look at that because it's hunting. It's killing an animal. And when you layer profit into that equation, that's, let's be honest here, people. That is the thing. Mm. Making money on killing animals. That's what people get us on. It's mm -hmm. not, it, it, it's a bad thing in their eyes. Only if, but it's only also if, a business. Only if it's certain animals, though, Robbie. That's the problem I have. That, that's, that's the, that's the point I have a problem with. It goes it goes right back to our initial conversation about cats versus coyotes, or 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 elephants versus oh. whitetails. There's there, there, no one's upset with the thousands of whitetail outfitters in the United States. Yeah, but mm. they, there are people in New Mexico that are upset with uh, New Mexico guides and outfitters making money on privatization of elk. You just seen that in Montana. Right. Okay. Absolutely. You can find very, very micro examples of anything, but the, the, the worldwide outrage is not there. And, and that it's, it's until we apply the science instead of our emotions to specific species, we're never going to get anywhere with these conversations. There's too many damn feral cats. And if there's a way to control that problem, to balance it out, it should be done, even if that means the extermination of some cats. There's too many elephants in Botswana. Also, Botswana is a third, if not a fourth world country that needs to use their resources to better their situation. And if we're not going to be a detriment to that population, if we're not going to destroy the natural resource, there's nothing wrong with utilizing the natural resource. The same way that an, an outfitter down in Mississippi or Wisconsin's a better example. They got bigger whitetails than y'all do. That an outfitter in Wisconsin is using a resource to feed his family. Um, and I can, I can find problems with that. I can find an objection to that. But when you take all of that and you wrap it up in what I think is completely just neo-colonialism, of us deciding that the people in Africa don't have the right to make people in Botswana don't have a right to make a choice on how they manage their natural resources when their natural resource is abundant. I'm not talking about them finding the last elephant and selling it so that they can buy booze. I'm talking about them using a naturally very abundant resource to feed villages and bring money into the economy. And us, anyone sitting a thousand miles away or mm -hmm. 50, 
500 yards away and judging that is wrong bothers me. It just does. I like your um, thought process there, Cody. I, I'm a little concerned that I'm agreeing with you so much tonight, but um, the, you know, I, I was just, you brought Ranella up before he spent some time in uh, Ghana, I believe it was. And there are Guyana. Um, I'm forgetting exactly where, but there is a giant fish there that people are interested in going and catching and releasing. And it's bringing in a tremendous amount of money to the, to that local economy and the folks that live there, I'm butchering this whole thing, but you can look it up. Um, they're, they're like, Oh, wait a minute. We could eat that. We could kill that fish and eat it for a week, or we could keep it eat other fish that are more abundant and these people will, these folks will come in and catch that fish and release it and bring money into our economy. That seems like a better idea to the point where when the oxbows, uh, there's the flooding and these fish get trapped in the oxbows of these rivers, they'll go out and rescue them and put them back in the river. Wow. So, I guess it goes back to that idea of balance and conservation and, and yeah, and not, I mean, and being fair, you know? Um, yep, exactly. And so that's what my question is in all in this. And I, yep. I, I again, I, I applaud you guys for bringing this up and, and looking at it. And, and for me, it's just applying some basic conservation and fairness principles to every situation. And um, it's fascinating to me. So yep. thanks for that discussion. I'll, I'll, I'll finish the elephant topic by saying this. I think amicable, hard-hitting conversations between people that have opposite, opposite opinions, especially in elef with elephants, but it could be for feral horses or feral cats, is very good for coming to what you just said, Doug, a, a reasonable interpretation or a reasonable agreement on fairness and conservation that we're all interested in fairness for people, conservation for wildlife. So if Simon Espley is even listening to this, uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you, Simon. We'd love to have you on this podcast. Um, we'd love to have more back and forth conversations about the thing that we love so much, which is elephants and more specifically wildlife conservation. Last, but certainly not least, look at Doug is taking a big sigh. Because honestly, we didn't even have this article on the plate. It's 51 minutes into the podcast. Robbie Kroger was going to be completely happy. We're going to stick with the hour-long component of, of the, the roundup. And then Doug Duran sent in an article, a bombshell of an article probably, uh, that may elicit a lot of text messages, Cody. You might get a lot of text messages. 620-860-4804. <laughs> So I will set this up, and I'll also say, state from a Blood Origins perspective, um, our position on this, and then um, Doug will let you fire off. So this is an opinion piece written in the Seattle Times, and it says, I, I'm a hunter, comma, and I support gun control. It was written by a guy called Mark Quinn, uh, special to the Times, and Mark Quinn was retired after a 31-year career with the Washington State Department of Fish and Wildlife lives in Olympia. 
Washington State. From a Blood Origins perspective, you know, obviously a lot of people are jumping on uh, talking about this. Uh, we don't necessarily, as Blood Origins, need to talk about it, want to talk about it, because that's not our mission. Our mission is conveying the truth about hunting. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to stick to, and that's what we're good at. But this is certainly a topic uh, that is of interest to hunting and hunters. Doug Duran, you have the floor. Well... <clears throat> I've uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking about um, guns and the problem with guns. I grew up with guns. I have a whole bunch of them. Um, I use them very specifically for a tool. I respect that other people use them differently than I do. Um, this article was specifically about I'm a hunter and I'm for gun control. And I agree with that statement. The devil becomes the details of what is gun control. Um, We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Okay, Cody, how how so? No, that is exactly what I hope that you said, and I, I, I don't mean to interrupt. I, I finished. No, I'm happy to have you interrupt. I finished my agave and I did interrupt and I'm going to stop now, but that is exactly what I hope that you would say. Cause that is what's to me, that title is clickbait and the entire article is clickbait because he never gets into it. Let, let's let's, I think we need to get into it. What is gun control? And then we can have a real intelligent conversation. I've heard some conversations with people that I love, know, and respect um, about guns and like with the shooting sports uh, foundation people. And I couldn't help but agree with that. It was Ranella and it was, uh, I couldn't help but agree with them in the entire conversation that we need to teach a healthy respect for guns. We need people to learn a healthy respect for guns. And that is done through things like um, how I learned about guns. And that was from my father, a World War II veteran who was for a time a member of the, of the National, National Rifle Association. He quit about the same time George H.W. Bush, who was also a World War II veteran, quit the NRA. Those, uh, my father and some other guys here in town, um, ran the learn to hunt, uh, not learn to hunt, but I'm sorry, the hunter safety program. And I remember as a 12 year old kid going to that learn that, that hunter safety program and going there for a series of evenings and going through a very serious, very serious, um, going through the process and the, um, the education about guns, not only the one that I'd already gotten from my father because I got to go hunting with him, but also that you're at the end of this, you're going to get a hunter safety certificate and you get a little patch to put on your hunting jacket sleeve that shows that you did this. And then you will be able to buy, uh, at, uh, you'll be able, when you buy your hunting license at age 14, I was able to go hunting by myself because I had that certificate that patch on my arm. 
it was rigorous, especially to a 12 year old kid. You know, it was two or three hours, four or five nights. And at the end of it, you had to do a little field test where you went through all of the things that you had learned and they scored you on it. And it was, I mean, I probably concerned myself more about that than I did the lessons that I was learning at school. Because um, honestly, being able to do that was more important to me than most of the lessons I was learning at school. One of the things that's been interesting to me in the last several years is that our state, and I don't know if this is the case in other states, um, no longer require that for someone to be able to buy a hunting license. You have to take a, uh, you can take a hunter safety class online and take the exam. In no, at no point do you actually handle a gun or anything like that. And I'll give you an example. I did a learn to hunt uh, program one day, uh, one one day last uh, winter, the winter of 20, um, uh, early in 2021, um, with a, with one of the uh, regional NGOs. And um, people were encouraged to go online and take that online test. So a gal came who had a, uh, was a PhD candidate. And um, she told me, hey, I got my uh, hunter safety certificate. I was like, cool. And I handed her a 20-gauge shotgun with a with the pump shotgun, and it was open. She had no idea what to do with that shotgun. It concerned me that somehow we're doing we're we're we that that the in this case the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources was so quickly wanting to get people involved with hunting that they were get, uh, issuing hunter safety certificates to people who were taking an online test. And I was like, wow, so you were, you literally, this woman literally could not shoulder the shotgun properly. I went through some instruction with her. And when we went out to go hunting, I said, it was a squirrel hunt. And I said, I'd rather that I carry the gun. She goes, so, so would I. The point is there was a bare minimum that she had to do. And as she told me, well, I mean, I'm a PhD candidate and I know how to take tests. So she was able to answer those questions pretty quickly. My daughter did the same thing, as a matter of fact, after some years of uh, learning gun safety for me. So it was simple for her. But there was a bare minimum that she had to do in order to get that hunter safety certificate and then to be able to buy a small game hunting license. We don't require that of people to buy a gun. We don't require that of people to buy a gun in the United States not a bare minimum. There is no license involved. And when I start reading, and I had an exchange with a, a, a friend of mine who's uh, very, and I'm for the Second Amendment as well, but he's even stronger Second Amendment than I. And we were talking about, <clears throat> we were talking about all of these things, like our fathers and learning about it and all of that. And and I'm, yes, that's all very important, but the problem is that's not required and it doesn't, and it's not happening and it's happening less and less. Consequently, in a, from a reactionary standpoint, maybe it's time to have a license in this country to be able to buy a mm -hmm. firearm. And mm -hmm. that's where I've kind of landed in. There's so many and very complex gun laws. Maybe we can eliminate some of those and start with that. Mm -hmm.
and that's where I kind of came to with, um, with, uh, with gun control. Cody, are you for gun control for more gun control? Um, I think, and I, I, I don't think I'm disagreeing with Doug. I, I think I'm agreeing very much that it's a very complicated issue. Okay. Um, I would say that there is probably not to me, my devotion to the second amendment applies very little to hunting. I mean, it's, it's part of it, but it applies very little to it. Um, and I'm not, I, I mean, I promise that anyone that knows me will tell you that I'm not even remotely radical. Um, and I don't think anyone would, well, maybe some people would, but I, I think very few people would describe me as radical. But I do believe that in the, in the big scheme of things, the Second Amendment doesn't have anything to do with hunting. It's why I take, it's why I take a, a deep breath when I read this article and it says we as hunters don't need military style weapons. It's not, it's not what the Second Amendment is about. The Second Amendment is not about harvesting whitetails or elk. Um the Second Amendment is about the people not losing power to the government. Um, that's my belief on it. Now, I am not so far entrenched. I am completely entrenched in my Second Amendment beliefs. Okay, But my Second Amendment beliefs are not so far to the side that we can explore options to lessen catastrophes. Right. I'm 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 open to that discussion. Um, the licensing thing is a thing that I'm willing that, that the option that Doug just presented, that the that, that you should have, you should, and a hundred percent correct me if I'm wrong, Doug. I'm not trying to speak out of turn, that you should prove some understanding and proficiency before you can own a firearm. Um, I think that's a fair uh assessment of what I was trying to say. Okay. Um, it's not a thing I'm opposed to coming to a table and sitting down and talking about. Um, I am just a tinge, um, apprehensive about putting the government more in control of my ability to own a firearm. And I don't want that to seem like I'm way over here on this side. I used the wrong hand for this example that I'm way over here on this side um, it's not. I'll, I'll come and talk about it, but I'm apprehensive. I, I, I want to see what it looks like. Um, if Doug had said we should make education opportunities way more available and accessible, 100% I'm on board. When mm -hmm. you say mandate it through the government, I get a little – I cross my arms on my chest like this, like I just did, you know, and, and not because – not because I've chosen a hill to die on, but because I, I, I want I would want to talk more about that with with the government when they said that. Um, and I don't. Uh, I firmly believe this has just nearly jack shit to do with hunting. I really and truly do, and I believe that we are the freest country in the world because at least a segment of our citizenry looks at Washington DC as employees of ours, as opposed to rulers of ours. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean I, I know I get it. I sound like I sound like a Branch Davidian. I get to some people. I get it. I, I say I get it, but I, it's it's not where I'm at. I don't sit here scared. I don't sit here stockpiling too much ammo. I don't sit here in in a, in a crazy realm. But that's where the Second Amendment is important to me. And every time you add another government loophole um it bothers me really quickly because i know robbie is stressed as shit that we're at an hour five the, the, no i'm good i'm good the other thing that gets under my skin is i believe there are four to five other things that are much more realistic for us to pursue in preventing catastrophes. What are those? One is absolutely assessing our mental health programs. Okay. And I think that as a country, we responded to a horrible mental health system in the early part of the 20th century. And we, I believe we overreacted. I believe there are some people who have, I believe a hundred percent that there are some people, I don't want to say most of the mass shooters. I don't want to say most criminals. I don't want to say any of that. I think there's some people that probably can't function in society right now because of their mental health issues. I also think a big one is we are shit at enforcing our current gun laws across the country. There are people, there are a lot of people who illegally possess firearms right now. And that's the thing that makes this argument hard to have with some people is you don't enforce the damn things now. I mean, do you think anyone that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people shot every day and the guy that pulled the trigger didn't illegally, didn't legally possess that firearm. I think that is a thing that would have a bigger effect step on less freedoms and would be real. I think both of those things would be real as opposed to we continually have this argument about to to incredibly simplify it. I'm going to take your AR away from you, right? Like that's where we go every time and it yeah. sucks. Yeah. I'm not interested in taking your AR away from you, especially. I am interested in I guess where I'm trying to go with this is the mental health thing. Absolutely. But that's what a light part of a license. And I understand background checks would be a part of that, but a part of a license would be that as well. All right. Um, I, I see that as, as a part of it. What I'm tr- what I'm, what I'm talking about with the licensing idea is to eliminate a certain amount of gun, these quote unquote, common sense gun control laws. Um <clears throat> And reducing that down, it's like, how do we simplify this? So you're starting at the base. Before you can own or possess, buy, buy own, possess a gun, there's a, 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 you know, a basic license that you have to have that requires you to show competency and not only show competency, but to be competent. And then the other one, and so that then eliminating when you were saying enforcing the current gun control laws, laws absolutely eliminate and simplify. I mean, man, there's a a, a a thousand answers, or there's a thousand questions and 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 more answers. I don't. I agree that I'm not sure that 
um, more is better. I think that different and simpler is better. And that's what I'm trying to get at in this whole thing. And then to have the ongoing discussion. And I have to say that, um, it, and I agree with you about the hunting end of it, right? Because I'm not a, I'm not a shooter. I'm, I am a hunter. A, a gun is a tool that I use to hunt with and I'm a proficient shooter, but I don't go out and burn a bunch of rounds just shooting. I'm just not that guy. I appreciate respect and accept people who are willing to do this. I have some friends who do three gun and that sort of thing. And they are some of the most competent individuals I have. And guess who I ask when I have a gun question or an optics question or any of those sort of things. Those are the people that I ask. I don't think that, you know, I don't think these kids, I was going to just say this 18 year old kid in Texas, but I also don't want to talk about that one thing specifically. I just, that's not that guy. And the mental health thing, absolutely. All of those things tie together, um, you know, basic competency uh, with anything. And I don't think the second amendment, um, I'm a big fan of the second amendment too, but I don't think that the second amendment, um, requires us to, um, just accept, uh, what's happening here. There's a lot of parts to that second amendment and, and I, and I respect that and I respect the constitution and all of the amendments as far as that goes. And I certainly respect responsible gun owners. Um, I'm just trying to find a better way because I can tell you, um, I know a lot of people who are on the, let me make sure I use the right hand, on the other side of this. And, you know, I, I fear, I fear that we're not trying to come up with a solution. And I appreciate the fact that you had, as did I, some points to be able to talk about and, um, you know, maybe work through. Um, I was just trying to lay something out there that I think um, that, that I hope that people can agree with. I think it's, I, I, I think it's a great issue. Um, and the, the, the last point to it is I really just stress on, I, I'm not stressing this point. I'm saying I personally stress about, if we restrict access, does it solve anything? Because we've restricted access to alcohol before in this country. We've restricted access to drugs before in this country. And I don't mean that to be some overwhelming argument that there shouldn't be any gun laws and everyone should have an AR strapped to their chest all around. I mean that to be an economy of time, an economy of resources argument that I think we're chasing the wrong solution to this. And I think that enforcing our current gun laws and realizing that there are some mental health issues that need a person to be removed from public society for a considerate and realistic portion of time is realistic. That's, that's a thing that we did away with that I think is directly correlative to this. Um, hmm. to some of them. Um, and I, I, I fear we're chasing, we're, 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 we're chasing an imaginary solution with gun control. Um, and it may be just, just as simple as we're beyond the point. What, what are you going to do right now to keep a person from getting their hands on a gun in the United States? Nothing, nothing. 
If, if, if they're a person who has decided that they will break the law, nothing. And I, I, I believe in the Second Amendment, but my biggest fear is we're chasing the wrong solution. And there's only so much time and resources to help make this better. And if we chase the wrong solution, we're, 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 we're wasting resources. You know, it's a, I don't say much on this topic. But as I came from 11 different countries, he doesn't say much on this topic. I did come from a country in which gun rights were in my lifetime stripped away from me. When I got my first gun license to your, to your point, Doug, I had a card that had the caliber. It had the serial number. It was a card to my gun. And I was only allowed to buy ammunition for that specific caliber of rifle. I couldn't buy any other ammunition. I had to log it in a logbook, the whole kit and caboodle. Through time, uh, laws were passed that you needed to have a safe in the house. You had to bolt the safe to the ground. The police had to come check on it. In South Africa, uh, proficiency tests were brought in. Uh, you had to show proficiency in all your weapons. You had to pay a license fee every year on your weapons. And... What happened is slowly but surely these competent, socially, um, what's the word I'm looking for? People that are, are upstanding members of society were saying, well, why are you putting me through all this? It's not me that's the problem. And so they became, didn't want to be legal gun owners anymore. And so me coming into this country with that perspective, when I first bought a gun, and this is pretty good context. When I first bought a gun, I went to gunowners.com. Mm-hmm. And I bought a 7mm short action Ultramag because it's the cheapest gun I could buy. Ruger. It's $419. I had to wait 14 days because I was a classified an alien. A legal alien. Not a, a legal alien. Not an illegal. A legal alien. I had to wait 14 days. And then the gun cleared. And I received my weapon. And so to me, I think what Cody said is, in thinking through this, I don't want to ever be put back in that situation where this gun gets taken away, this gun gets taken away, this gun gets taken away from my kids and my grandkids Mm -hmm. one day. Mm -hmm. But I do want them to be safe. And so I'm okay with, with... what Cody said, the two avenues, right? The one avenue is enforce the gun laws that we have. Enforce them. But what if this guy that does have an issue or gal that does have an issue walks into a pawn shop or a gun shop anywhere and goes through the process to get a weapon through that that vehicle? Could we put a little bit more background check into the individual in that you don't get the gun right away? You wait three, four, five days. I I was in that position. I waited 14 days. Mm-hmm. And it was okay because I wanted the gun. <laughs> so that's all I want to say. That's all I have to say on it. Um, it's a very controversial, emotional topic. But you both have said some very, very, very valid points. Well, uh, you know, I'll just wrap up. Um, all three of these subjects, at least for myself, in that that they all there's emotion in all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And the number one thing in any discussion, and I applaud you guys uh, 
for doing this is in removing the emotion from it and then having the discussion um, and trying to find a way in each of them. Like I, I do management plans. I have the, the, the number one line in the management plan that I, for, for properties and for other things is trying to do the best thing. And the best thing is a, uh, pardon the pun, moving target. And you only get there through um, removing emotion and then having discussion and having an open mind about it. And uh, that's why I became a fan of your, of your podcast really is, um, is how you addressed subjects in a way that there's an open discussion about it. And uh, I feel like tonight was one of those. Well, thanks to you, Cody potting woods. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think, uh, I, I think the whole thing's about compromise without over compromise, right? Like I'm a very, uh, like, I don't think about it on a daily basis, but there are some things that I would bar myself up and stand my ground in my home about. For the, I also think if you ask the people that knew me the most, I'm the least confrontational guy and most compromising guy that they know. Um, and I think that's, that's where we lack. I think that's where both hands, Doug, in, in, in this, uh, in this current, in this current uh, situation we're in, both hands think they have to dig in on everything, as opposed to actually having principles. Um, and I love people that dig in on their principles, but when you start digging in issue by issue based on what little letter is in the parentheses after the person's talking name, it's, it's ignorant. Um, and this is a situation where I think we need to come to the table. There's too many people getting shot in the United States. I firmly believe that. And I, I, I don't think, I think any reasonable person is going to believe that. Um, we just have to come to the table and go, what's the one thing that both sides of the aisle are willing to do right now that we know will help? Let's do it full force. Um, and it's going to take compromise. It's going to take compromise from both sides. Um, <clears throat> I really, I re really, to sum up, I think if people would look at principles versus issues on a lot of things, what are your principles? What are the what, what's the actual hill that you would literally die on versus how do we just make this better, even if it's not perfectly how I think it could be made better? Um, we, we operated like that as a country for a long time. And I think maybe the Internet's a big washing machine that's screwing us up right now. And we'll get back there. I, I, I think I think this is and will always be the greatest country in the world because of the fact that we are allowed to publicly argue about this shit on a dumbass podcast that like 12 people listen to. That's why it's the greatest country in the world. Um, but every single one of those 10 amendments is part of that.
Um, so that I don't know. I just talk myself in a circle. I got to pee real bad, and I'm hoping that we're about done. <laughs> Doug Duran, always a pleasure. You're always welcome back whenever you want. Uh, we thoroughly enjoy having conversations with you, my man. So thank you. Very good. I appreciate it very much, fellas. Um, like I said, I'm a big fan. And um, we'll, we will talk again. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thanks, Doug. Cheers, cheers. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.